This week's podcast episode of the Joseph series, Joseph and his integrity. We are all presented with temptation, but do we follow God's plan to escape it or do we rely on ourselves? Do we pray for the cessation of the temptation or for God and his power to meet the temptation? I just want to take a few moments and share with you some things that are on my heart today. Is that all right? I don't know why I asked for permission. I'm going to do it. it, it I, I say this with a little bit of trepidation because I know how some um, view this kind of thing, but I, I want you to know that I truly believe. And I've come to the realization of my own spirit and my own walk with the Lord that, uh, that the days are short. I think he's coming, and I think it's soon. Um, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that the believers in Christ will be removed before the wrath of God is poured out. I also believe that as followers of Christ, we are to not sleep when it comes to things of the end times. We are to be watchful and alert We are to not be caught unaware like the rest of the world. It says in 1 Thessalonians that we are to, that he doesn't come like a thief to us. He comes like a thief to everybody else, but not to the church because we're watchful and we understand the times in which we live. (laughs) And I want to give you a little bit of evidence before we get into Genesis 39 today. Things that have just stirred me lately that lead me to believe that our days are short. Jesus, when he was talking in Luke 17 about the end of time, he said, it will be as in the days of Noah. And he says that it's going to be just like those days when the rapture takes and spares the people of God when the wrath is poured out. And there's strong evidence, this is strong evidence, that the church will be removed before the wrath of God comes, just as Noah and his family were removed before the flood. They weren't in the water for half of the flood and then removed. They weren't in the water for the whole flood and survived and plucked out. They were spared. There's a lot more to the days of Noah and its relationship to the rapture, but I don't have time. In the same chapter, Jesus says, the culture of the world will be also like the days of Lot. Luke 17, 28. You remember the days of Lot, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. And how Abraham goes to the Lord and he says, if you just find 100 people, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, okay, find me 100 people. Find me 50, find me 40, find me 20, find me 10. They removed Lot and his family, spared them. We also know from a couple of verses, Jude 1.7, Genesis 19.5, that the predominant sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality. And as I'm sure everyone here knows, that June, we celebrate Pride Month. I don't know if you saw this, but... uh, the flying at the White House, 
they moved the American flags off the center so they could put the pride flag in the middle. I was even watching uh, golf on Sunday afternoon. Rare occurrence for me, but. <laughs> hey, it's good sleeping material, right? Okay, I, I know that's what you're thinking, I know. I was watching golf, and even on the golf thing, they go, we want to, we want to especially announce that this is Pride Month, and we're going to celebrate the LBGTQ community today. I can't even watch golf without it. And it's not just America. There is a growing worldwide acceptance of that which God calls evil is now good. I hear the words of Abraham, if you could just find me one place in the world where it's still... In Matthew 24, the imagery of the fig tree is given, which is figurative of Israel. Jesus says, when you see the fig tree putting forth leaves, you know summer is near and that he is right at the door. The fig tree putting forth its leaves. Then he says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. The fig tree, Israel, started sprouting its leaves when it returned to its homeland in 1948. A generation 70, 80 years. In fact, Genesis 12.4 said, Abraham left his home for the promised land when he was, and it says very specifically, 75 years old. Do the math. 2023 minus 75 is 1948. I'm just saying it's all coincidence. One more. In 2015... The United Nations embarked on a quest to establish a new world order, which they call Agenda 2030. This is to usher in a new world of complete equality and inclusion. They truly believe that they are going to wipe away all poverty, all hunger, all inequities in the world. And they believe that the world working together can curtail their perceived damage that climate is doing. They want to bring about the dismantling of national borders so that we can have a complete global community by 2030, making the United Nations the center of the world authority and power. Now, that started in 2015. The first eight years, the plan has lagged behind. So that there is now a new initiative to accelerate the advancement of these goals during the last seven years leading to 2030. Seven years. A summit will convene this September on the day after the Jewish Feast of Trumpets, significant, outlining how the world will accelerate its efforts, come together to create a utopian existence here on this planet. They keep saying over and over, the next seven years are critical to the future of this planet. I just think all of these things should be considered by believers. Scripture teaches that following the removal of the church, the wrath of God will come upon the earth just as in the days of Noah. It is the great tribulation. And may I say this to everybody? You don't want to be here. You do not want to be here. It's not just going to be wars and earthquakes. 
There will be scarcity. There will be difficulty of which the world has never experienced before. So if you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, do not delay. Do not delay. Bow your head now and pray. He may come before I get to my message. I want you to know this, and I speak to all ages, but especially to those on the younger end. Going to church, being raised in a Christian home, even reading your Bible is not going to get you to heaven. It is turning to Jesus the Savior and believing in him for your salvation. You turn to him and you say, I admit that I cannot save myself. I am turning to you. I believe in you for my salvation. The time is short. We are in the last days. So what does that have to do with Joseph? Nothing. (laughs) Well, maybe it does. We are looking at the life of Joseph in Genesis and uh, to see what it looks like to live a godly life in a messed up culture. I think it's pertinent, don't you think? In the scene we have today, he's tempted to sexual sin. He refuses to yield. And then he's falsely accused and punished for doing what is right. Last week, we saw that Joseph was hated by his brothers. They sold him into slavery. In chapter 39, we learned that Joseph was purchased by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is referred to as the captain of the bodyguard. He is a chief officer of Pharaoh himself, probably equal to the director of the Secret Service today. And so Joseph comes, Joseph, this foreigner, he comes into this house, and now we read this in the first four verses of 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. Here's something we learned from this right off the bat. Joseph prospered because why? The Lord was with him. We don't have the time frame here. We don't know how long from Potiphar's purchase of Joseph until this scene takes place. Could have been short, might have been a few years. We don't know. But in this passage, the only reason we are given as to why he prospered was that God was with him. Uh, There is no list of great qualities Joseph had. There is no list of his educational background, his past experiences. In fact, I would say his resume was kind of weak. And not only that, he's this foreigner. In fact, the only thing Joseph had going for him was God was with him. (laughs) I kind of think that's all you need. 
Blessing is given to those who live in the abiding place of Christ. John 15 says, to abide in Christ. Not to abide in Christian things, not to abide in a Christian lifestyle, a Christian culture, but to abide in Christ is to live in the fruit of the kingdom. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? I thought about this whole thing, and I think, I thought, well, let me ask you, do you ever think about your funeral? Some of us think about it more than others, probably. But I was thinking about this, and I thought, this is, this is what I would hope people would say. I would count it no greater honor than for someone to simply say, God was with him. No, no list of achievements, no list of everything that happened, and just God was with that guy. Your influence, your prosperity, every good thing are gifts from God. You realize that, right? James 1.17 says that it all comes down from him. It is because of grace that you live under blessing. It's not because of your merit. And the moment you think it has something to do with you and your abilities is when you exchange what God can powerfully do to what you can barely do. It made me think of a couple of guys I knew in college. You know, I lost track of them for a while. You, you might find this hard to believe, but for much of my adult life, there was nothing called Facebook. Does anybody know life without Facebook? Uh, you, you know, before Facebook, we just lost track of people, right? And I remember, you know, when it came about in my life that I discovered Facebook, I found this, I found one of these guys on Facebook. And I was, there was this one guy in college, he was big man on campus. You know the type, right? Might have been some of you, just like him. I mean, he was the best looking guy. He was the smartest guy. He was the most talented guy. And all the girls, whew. Even the parents of the girls wanted their daughter to snag. Right? He's going places. And yet I found him on Facebook, and I was able to kind of piece his life together. Has anybody ever pieced lives together on Facebook? You kind of... Nobody's admitting to it. No, I don't do that. No, no, no. No. And I saw that he had only pastored. He, he was in the, going into ministry. He only pastored for a few years. He'd had multiple marriages. His life was a constant struggle. But then I, I found this other guy that I went to college with that I, well, you ever get these friend requests from people that you have no idea who they are? And then you look at the friend, common friends that you have and they have and you go, oh, they're from that part of my life, right? That's one of this guy. I found this guy like that. And I said, I think I kind of remember him. But when I think of it, there was nothing about him to remember. He was uncool, ordinary, not very good looking. And yet, 
I saw in his life that he was married to the same girl all these years, and he was the pastor of the largest church in the denomination I grew up in. And I had, I just kept thinking of it to myself, this one word question, him? (laughs) God was with him. Makes all the difference in the world. In verse 6, we're given the information that Joseph was also extremely good-looking. He was handsome, well-built. He was given the curse of good looks. (laughs) I'm so glad that one passed me over. (laughs) But Joseph caught the eye of a woman. There was only one problem. It's Potiphar's wife. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, right, okay. Verse 7. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. We are told how difficult, I mean, we are not told in the passage how difficult the temptation was. I don't know. I mean, is it odd for me to think, was she really that much of a temptation? We really don't know. I'm going to say she was. Not only that, she just kept coming. Day after day after day after day after day, she kept coming after him. And in verse 8, we have these three words. Remember this, when you're tempted, it just says, Joseph refused. He saw the, the privilege that he had been given by Potiphar and how this would betray that trust, but He saw it as even bigger than that. He said, if I take this step and I yield to this temptation, this is a great evil. This is a sin. Not against Potiphar, against God. He said, the stakes are just too high. And in verse 10, it says this, he did not even listen to her. So the question is, how do you handle temptation? I encounter people all the time that, it, 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 who feel as though they are slaves to temptation. I try, I try, I try, I try, and I keep sinning, sinning, sinning. I'm telling you here today, if your strategy for overcoming sin is your willpower, <laughs> anybody ever done that? You get up in the morning and say, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin. I'm not yielding, I'm not yielding, I'm not yielding, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin. What are you thinking about all day? 
What do you think is going to happen? I always say that, I say it over and over, but the, the more attention we give to the person of Christ being with us, in us, the less alluring sin, the more power, the more strength over that comes into our life. I find people who are trapped in temptation always praying for God to make the temptation go away. Anybody ever prayed that? Why? That's wasted breath. God, make the temptation go away. How many of you believe that you're going to get to a point in your life where there's not going to be any more temptation because you prayed and asked God to remove it? Temptation will follow us all the days that we're on this planet. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Well, first of all, how many of you think your temptation is worse than the next guy? And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide, God will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. Escape. Go. Every temptation has God's escape plan. It's important for us to know in our fight with temptation is that this verse teaches that God provides our escape. This is not about your personal willpower. This is about the provision of God's spirit that when we come against temptation, we look to the spirit of God that lives within us. And we say, I can't handle this, but you can. Provide me the way of escape. Run, flee. But so many people, they look at the temptation, they're, they're confronted with the temptation, and they stay. They don't run. They fool themselves. I'll be strong enough. I'll be able to endure. How well do you think that works? Well, they like the, they, they like the attention they get from the girl at work. Well, yeah, I'm married. She's married. I know, but... It's harmless. So they stay and don't flee. Or they rationalize it. I need, I need something more than the owner of that something needs it. And they think about it and they don't flee. They stay. Mulling it over is what weakens the awareness of the life of Christ within and gives root <laughs> through the deeds of the flesh. I think another point that needs to be made about this temptation of Joseph, it comes at a time of great success. He has great authority and influence and power. So let me ask you, do you think you're more vulnerable temptation during seasons of success or seasons of failure? I like this from F.B. Meyer. He says, we may expect temptation in the days of prosperity and ease rather than in those of privation and toil. Not when the youth is climbing arduously the steep ladder of fame, but when he has entered the golden portals. Not where men frown, but where they smile sweet, exquisite smiles of flattery. It is there, it is there that the temptress lies in wait. Beware. I would almost say success is far more spiritually dangerous than failure. 
Now, the scene with Joseph and Potiphar's wife, it escalates. One day in there, she's tempting him. He's refusing. She grabs him, tearing off his outer garment. As he is fleeing, and she sees this as the ultimate opportunity to get revenge for his refusal, she cries, he attacked me, and uses the garment as evidence that he did just that. When Potiphar hears of this, he's angry, and what does he do? What would a man with ultimate power do if somebody had violated his wife? He just throws them in the prison. Now, to me, that strikes me as kind of strange. Couldn't he have had him executed on the spot? Yes, he had the power to do that. Some commentators I read said, perhaps he knows his wife all too well. So how would you feel? Falsely accused, you didn't do this. In fact, you've been doing the right thing. God should be there for you, right? He shouldn't let this happen, right? Joseph just takes it. 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. That keeps coming up. And extended kindness to him gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Mistreated. He'd done nothing wrong, yet he finds himself here. Ever been punished for doing the right thing? There's a scripture that I've thought of all week as I've thought about what's going on in Joseph. What's, 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 how, do, how do you get to where he's at in, inside? And this one, this one familiar scripture came up, Psalm 46.10. It just said this, be still and know that I'm God. In other words, be still. God's with me. He knows what he's doing. You know what the word for be still in the passage actually means? It means to let go and relax. You're good at that, right? You're falsely accused. You're thrown in jail. Yeah, just relax. When you study the word, you find that it even means to be slack or even slothful. It's this place of the heart that says, I don't have to win. Right? I don't have to get my way. Right? I don't even have to be treated fairly. I don't have to be heard. I can just relax in the midst of these circumstances and know that God is. I don't know what the future looks like, folks, but um, here's the question. Are you ready to be relaxed when the world is falling apart? 
Are you ready to be mistreated, falsely accused, persecuted, and know that God is still God and he is still mine? You see, when the world sees Christians who are worried and fearful and angry and depressed and fighting for a better world, or worse, fighting with each other, it's easy for them to say no to God. Hey, they're just like us. But when they see this group of people that God is with, and who are, who are just at peace, they're at rest when attacked, they love when hated. They endure when persecution is coming, and they love each other so intensely. Nothing's going to tear them apart. And when the fire of persecution burns hot, we are still stopped, relaxed, because he's God. And they see that and they wonder how, what is it about those people? What is it about their God? One, two, three, four. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.